0: His is an interesting one, and his achievement and rise in life was very remarkable in the period in which he lived. Aloy was a workman in Limoges, as a youth, under the famous Abho, in the 6th century, there he learned the craft of a goldsmith. He was such a splendid artisan that he soon received commissions for extensive works on his own account. King Clothair II ordered from him a golden throne and supplied the gold which was to be used. To the astonishment of all, Aloy presented the king with, two, golden thrones, although it is difficult to imagine what a king would do with duplicate thrones, and immediately it was noised abroad that the goldsmith Aloy was possessed of miraculous powers, since, out of gold sufficient for one throne, he had constructed two. People of a more practical turn found out that Aloy had learned the art of alloying the gold so as to make it do double duty. A great many examples of St. Aloy's work might have been seen in France until the Revolution in 1792, especially at the Abbey of St. Denis. A ring made by him, with which St. Godibert was married to Christ, according to the custom of medieval saints, was preserved at Noyen until 1793, when it disappeared in the Revolution. The Chronicle says of Aloy, he made for the king a great number of gold vessels enriched with precious stones, and he worked incessantly, seated with his servant Thilo, a Saxon by birth, who followed the lessons of his master. Saint Aloy founded two institutions for goldsmithing, one for the production of domestic and secular plate, and the other for ecclesiastical work exclusively so that no worker in profane lines should handle the sacred vessels. The secular branch was situated near the dwelling of Aloy, in the site itself, and was known as St. Aloy's Enclosure. When a fire burned them out of house and shelter, they removed to a suburban quarter, which soon became known in its turn as the Clocher St. Aloy. The religious branch of the establishment was presided over by the aforesaid Thillo, and was the Abbey of Solignac, near Limoges. This school was inaugurated in 631. While Aloy was working at the court of King Clothair II, St. Quen was there as well. The two youths struck up a close friendship, and afterwards Ewen became his biographer. His description of Aloy's personal appearance is worth quoting, to show the sort of figure a medieval saint sometimes cut before canonization. He was tall, with a ruddy face, his hair and beard curly. His hands well made, and his fingers long his face full of angelic sweetness. At first he wore habits covered with pearls and precious stones, he had also belts sewn with pearls. His dress was of linen encrusted with gold, and the edges of his tunic trimmed with gold embroidery. Indeed, his clothing was very costly, and some of his dresses were of silk. Such was his exterior in his first period at court, and he dressed thus to avoid singularity but under this garment he wore a rough sackcloth, and later on he disposed of all his ornaments to relieve the distressed, and he might be seen with only a cord round his waist in common clothes. Sometimes the king, seeing him thus divested of his rich clothing, would take off his own cloak and girdle, and give them to him, saying, It is not suitable that those who dwell for the world should be richly clad, and that those who despoil themselves for Christ should be without glory. Among the numerous virtues of Saint Aloy was that of a consistent carrying out of his real beliefs and theories. Whether men might consider him quixotic or not, he was strongly opposed to the institution of slavery. In those days, it would have been futile to preach actual emancipation. The times were not ripe, but Saint Aloy did all that he could for the cause of freedom by investing most of his money in slaves and then setting them at liberty. Sometimes he would corner a whole slave market, buying as many as thirty to a hundred at a time. Some of these manumitted persons became his own faithful followers, some entered the religious life, and others devoted their talents to their benefactor and worked in his studios for the furthering of art in the church. He once played a trick upon the king. He requested the gift of a town, in order, as he explained, that he might there build a ladder by which they might both reach heaven. The king, in the rather credulous fashion of the times, granted his request and waited to see the ladder. St. Aloy promptly built a monastery. If the monarch did not choose to avail himself of this species of ladder, surely it was no fault of the builder. St. Quen and St. Aloy were consecrated bishops on the same day, May 14, St. Quen to the bishopric of Rouen, and Aloy to the see of Noyon. He made a great hunt for the body of St. Quentin, which had been unfortunately mislaid, having been buried in the neighborhood of Noyon, he turned up every available spot of ground around, within and beneath the church, until he found a skeleton in a tomb, with some iron nails. This he proclaimed to be the sacred body, for the legend was that St. Quentin had been martyred by having nails driven into his head. Although it was quite evident to others that these were coffin nails, still St. Aloy insisted upon regarding his discovery as genuine, and they began diligently to dismember the remains for distribution among the churches. As they were pulling one of the teeth, a drop of blood was seen to follow it, which miracle was hailed by St. Aloy as the one proof wanting. Aloy had the genuine artistic temperament, and his religious zeal was much influenced by his aesthetic nature. He once preached an excellent sermon, still preserved, against superstition. He inveighed particularly against the use of charms and incantations. But he had his own little streak of superstition in spite of the fact that he fulminated against it. When he had committed some fault, after confession, He used to hang bags of relics in his room and watch them for a sign of forgiveness. When one of these would turn oily or begin to affect the surrounding atmosphere peculiarly, he would consider it a sign of the forgiveness of heaven. It seems to us today as if he might have looked to his own relic bags before condemning the ignorant. Saint Aloy died in 659 and was himself distributed to the faithful in quite a wholesale way. One arm is in Paris. He was canonized both for his holy life and for his great zeal in art. He was buried in a silver coffin adorned with gold, and his tomb was said to work miracles like the shrine of Becket. Indeed, Becket himself was pretty dressy in the matter of jewels, when he traveled to Paris, the simple Frenchman exclaimed, What a wonderful personage the King of England must be if his chancellor can travel in such state. There are various legends about St. Aloy. It is told that a certain horse once behaved in a very obstreperous way while being shod, St. Aloy calmly cut off the animal's leg and fixed the shoe quietly in position, and then replaced the leg, which grew into place again immediately, to the pardonable astonishment of all beholders, not to mention the horse. St. Aloy was also employed to coin the currency of Dagobert and Clovis II, and examples of these coins may now be seen as authentic records of the style of his work. A century after his death the monasteries, which he had founded were still in operation, and Charlemagne's crown and sword are very possibly the result of Saint Aloy's teachings to his followers. While the monasteries undoubtedly controlled most of the art education of the early Middle Ages, there were also laymen who devoted themselves to these pursuits. John de Garland, a famous teacher in the University of Paris, wrote, in the 11th century, a dictionaries dealing with various arts. In this interesting work he describes, the trades of the moneyers, who controlled the mint, the coining of gold and silver into currency, for the making of coin in those days was permitted by individuals, the clasp-makers, the makers of cups or hanops, jewelers and harness-makers, and other artificers. John de Garland was English, born about the middle of the 12th century, and was educated in Oxford. In the early 13th century he became associated with the university, and when Simon de Montfort was slain in 1218, at Toulouse, John was at the University of Toulouse, where he was made so professor, and stayed three years, returning then to Paris. He died about the middle of the 13th century. He was celebrated chiefly for his Dictionarius, a work on the various arts and crafts of France, and for a poem to Triumphus Ecclesi.